Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 7th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Moses Fleetwood Walker, the first black man to play Major League Baseball. So we need to clear up a very common misconception. Jackie Robinson was not the first black man to play pro ball. That honor falls to our human in history today, Moses Fleetwood Walker. This is not meant in any way to diminish what Jackie Robinson did or the massive hurdles that he had to jump to just be allowed to play the sport. What he did was truly amazing, but he was not the first. So why the common misconception? Well, few reasons. One was the passage of time. Not a lot of people were keeping track of African-American accomplishments in the 1800s. It's amazing to me actually how little information there is on a great deal of people of color during the 17 or 1800s who accomplished amazing tasks or made true social change. When Jackie Robinson entered Major League Baseball, there were radios and TVs to capture and share what he did to ensure that it would never be forgotten. The second reason was that Moses was not what we would call a palatable black man for white America. After his baseball career, he became an author and an editor, and he wrote about black nationalism and the plight of people of color in America. And that definitely did not endear him to white America. So shutting the page on him just sort of suited everyone. White America at the turn of the century was reaching a place where they were starting to be okay with black people as entertainers, but not much else, least of all educated humans with opinions. This situation was kind of similar to the whole Rosa Parks situation. Everyone knows who Rosa Parks is and what she did, but what a lot of people don't know is that the exact same situation, a woman of color refusing to give up her best seat and being arrested for it, happened nine months before Rosa Parks. But because the woman that did it was an unwed teenage mother, that story was sort of brushed under the rug. That woman's name, by the way, is Claudette Colvin, and we're going to be talking about her on September 5th. So Moses Fleetwood Walker was the first openly black man to play Major League Baseball over six decades before Jackie Robinson did. Quick aside on openly black. We have talked in previous episodes about the concept of passing. Uh, That means when someone of mixed race would deny that they were of African-American heritage in order to have access to more opportunities. There was a formerly enslaved man named William Edward White who did play as a sub for one game on June 21st, 1879, about five years before Moses. And he was at least partially black, but he was passing as white. So if we look at who was the first man of color who was in no way able to pass because his heritage was evident to everyone that saw him to actually play professional baseball, then our man of the hour is Moses Fleetwood Walker. So Moses was born on this day in 1856 in Mount Pleasant, Ohio. Super tiny town on the eastern border of Ohio and West Virginia. The population is only around like 500 people. Mount Pleasant had been a sanctuary city for refugee enslaved persons since the early 1800s. So the town had a very large population of formerly enslaved people and also a very high uh, Quaker community. Moses' father, Moses Sr., had moved to Ohio from Pennsylvania, probably with the support of the Quaker community. And in 1843, he married Caroline O'Hara. I found conflicting reports on his parents. Some sources have both of his parents being of mixed blood, and other sources say that his father was black, but his mother was white. 
the mixed blood is probably a little more realistic. An interracial marriage at that time would probably have been noticed a lot more. Um, at the age of three, little Moses and his parents relocated to Steubenville, Ohio, where Moses Sr. became one of the first African-American physicians in Ohio, as well as an Episcopal minister. Moses had five or six siblings, can't get a, a definitive on the exact number, and he attended Steubenville High School with his brother Weldy. Weldy would actually go on to become the second black man to play pro ball after his brother Moses. Weldy and Moses were in high school during the 1870s when Ohio was just starting to pass state legislation authorizing racial integration. Moses started at Oberlin College in 1878, studying arts and philosophy, and by all accounts, he was a great student, but after a while, he just kind of stopped attending. It seems that his gradual decline in attendance in his sophomore year may have coincided with him getting more involved with the Oberlin College baseball team. This may have been his introduction to baseball, or he may have started playing when he was little growing up in Steubenville because it was pretty popular there. We, we don't really know for sure when he started playing. We do know that he became Oberlin's catcher and leadoff hitter, and that he was not actually the first black man to play for Oberlin, as the uh, school newspaper in 1865 had mentioned a, quote, jet black first baseman on the team. Moses did start to get a lot of uh, newspaper coverage, though, uh, because he was known for his really long home run hits and his exceptional ball handling. The college removed their off-campus competition ban in 1881, and Moses and his brother Weldy very eagerly joined the baseball club's first intercollegiate team. Moses' playing was so exceptional that after playing against the University of Michigan, they offered him a spot on their team. He accepted, and he moved out there with his uh, pregnant girlfriend, Arabella, who he would marry the next year. Moses helped to turn the hot mess of the Michigan team around. His playing was a direct reason why the team was able to finish the season 10-3. While he was playing with this team, he was also playing for another team called the Cleveland White Sewing Machine Company, a semi-pro ball club. Everything was going smooth until the team showed up for a game in Kentucky. The team arrived the morning of their game and they went to check in at the St. Cloud Hotel and Moses was turned away at the door. Things got worse when they showed up at the ball field and members of the opposing team, the Louisville Eclipse, protested his presence on the team and refused to play until he was removed from the day's lineup. Moses' team subbed in a white player for him who was like, uh, sorry, I can't play because my hands are bruised. Moses tried to walk back out on the field, and once again, the Louisville Racists, that's a new team name I just gave them, protested until Moses was once again removed for the remainder of the game. Walker ended up leaving the University of Michigan in 1883 when he was offered a position on his first pro baseball team, the Toledo Blue Stockings, which was part of the Northwestern League. And everyone was just super chill with him being on an otherwise all-white team said no one ever. Before he even set foot on the field, the executive committee of the Northwestern League started discussing if they should have an official rule on the books banning men of color from playing or joining the teams. This caused a ton of intense fighting between the members before they decided to not add the rule to the books. But the problems in the boardroom were nothing compared to the stuff that Moses had to deal with on the field. When the Blue Stockings met up with the Chicago White Stockings for their August 10th, 1883 game, the manager of the White Stockings, Cap Anson, said that he would prohibit his team from playing if Moses was allowed to play. Charlie Morton, the manager for the Blue Stockings, told Cap that if he refused to play, then he would be forfeiting all of his team's gate receipts. This caused Cap to begrudgingly concede, saying, quote, 
we'll play this here game, but we won't play never no more with the N-word in. Wow, racist and inarticulate. What a catch. Huh. So just to drive the point home, ah, I'm on a roll here. Charlie Morton started Moses at right field and Cap just had to sit and spin. Moses bravely took the field, but at that game and everyone that followed, he had to stand out in a field surrounded by players who didn't want to play with him in front of an audience, many of whom had only recently been forced to emancipate their slaves. And the audience hurled everything from trash to death threats at him. And sadly, in the locker room, it wasn't any warmer amongst his teammates. As his pitcher, Tony Mullane, said, he was the best catcher I ever worked with, but I disliked a Negro. And whenever I had to pitch to him, I used to pitch anything I wanted without looking at his signals. Wow, nice teamwork there, Mullane. And it wasn't just like this was only his point of view, right? Most of the men on the team felt the same way. And between ignoring his signals and him taking the fall for past balls, as well as occasionally being struck in the ribs by pretty suspicious pitches, his time on the team was stressful, abusive, and just pretty straight up awful. For the rest of the championship season, Moses would participate in 60 of the total 84 games. He was known as being not only an exceptional hitter, but he was also a freakishly pain-tolerant catcher, usually catching the pitches barehanded. Sporting Life newspaper said that between Moses and pitcher Hank O'Day, the two men were one of the most remarkable batteries in the country. The impact of constantly catching pitches, either barehanded or wearing just a really thin leather glove, led to an ongoing series of hand and wrist injuries that would plague him for the rest of his career, shortened greatly due to the constant sprains and fractures. The total lack of teamwork and sportsmanship by his teammates, as well as the constant racial abuse, obviously didn't make anything easier. Other teams would openly spit on him or spike him, sliding into home with absolutely zero repercussions. Thanks in part to Moses, the team did so well that they were transferred to the American Association, which was Major League, the following year in 1884. On May 1st of that year, Moses became the first African-American man, openly African-American man, to play Major League Baseball when his team squared off once again against the Louisville Eclipse. Unfortunately, Moses sustained multiple injuries that year, limiting his participation to only 42 out of 104 games. There was a lot of pressure for management to release some of the more expensive contracts, or possibly the black ones, aka the ones that all the other teammates were complaining about. And as Moses' injuries had made the amount of money he was getting paid in relation to how many games he was actually playing very uneven, he was released from his contract on September 22nd, still nursing a broken rib. During the offseason, he worked as a mail clerk, but he went back to playing the next year, signing up for 18 games with the Western League. After that, he played 10 more games for a Waterbury, Connecticut baseball club. After the end of the season, he returned to Cleveland, where he took ownership of an opera house slash hotel called Le Grand House. He would go on to play for the Eastern League a bit on the Newark Little Giants and the Syracuse Stars. His playing had hit a bit of a lull, but he was still such a star personality that the presence of him on the field kept attendance high, and he was even able to use his position to leverage business contacts in Newark and Syracuse. He was released from the Syracuse Stars in 1889, making him the last man of color to play in an international league until Jackie Robinson 63 years later. The last few decades of his life definitely had their ups and downs. He tried to get into artillery patents. He created a specialty outer casing for a bullet in 1891, but there was no real demand for it, so it didn't go anywhere. Later that year, he was outside of a saloon when a group of white men began to 
curse at him and call him the N-word and threaten him. And one of the group, uh, a local bricklayer named Patrick Curley Murray, picked up a rock and smashed Moses' head with it. Moses defended himself by stabbing Murray with his pocket knife, and Murray ended up dying of his wounds. Moses went to trial, and even though it was self-defense, he was charged with first-degree murder, but then it was brought down to second-degree murder. On June 3rd, an all-white jury found him not guilty, and he went back to Steubenville and started to work for the post office again. Four years later, on June 12, 1895, Moses' wife, Arabella, died of cancer at only 32. He would remarry in 1895 to Edna Mason. Things bottomed out again that year when he was charged with and found guilty of mail fraud, resulting in a one-year jail sentence. Upon release, he turned it around. Um, He focused on running his Le Grand Hotel and his opera house. There was opera shows and vaudeville and minstrel shows nightly. And the success of his venture led him towards the blossoming film industry, where he patented inventions that improved the functionality of film reels. In 1902, Moses and his brother Weldy became editors for The Equator, an African-American magazine that explored the topic of black nationalism. Moses continued in this vein of exploration with the publishing of his 1908 book, Our Home Colony, a treaty on the past, present, and future of the Negro race in America. This book essentially made the claim that black and white people could and would never cohabitate equally, and that it would be better for all black people to move back to Africa. At the time, it was seen as, quote, the most learned book a professional athlete ever wrote. But it also didn't endear him to a lot of society, as his stance was not well received by most black or white people. And it was due in part to these statements, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, that American society chose to shun him and effectively yet quietly shut the door on his achievements, putting away all he did simply because of what he said. Here's a line from his book that has broke my heart. The Negro should be taught that he is an alien and always will be regarded as such in this country and that equal social, industrial, and political rights can never be given them. Edna, his second wife, died on May 26, 1920. Moses, now twice widowed and the father of three children, sold his opera house and began working as a clerk in a billiard parlor. He died at age 67 on May 11, 1924, of pneumonia. He was buried in an unmarked grave beside his first wife. A grave marker was dedicated in 1990 that reads, first black major league baseball player in the USA. My sources today were Wikipedia, Bleacher Report, The Undefeated, and The New York Times. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Moses Fleetwood Walker. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of Mary Engel Pennington, pioneering scientist and food safety practices genius. 